And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, and the Massachusetts Nurses Association. Were you in the 1989 earthquake in San Francisco? Were you I was working? At, no, no, I was at home trying to get dinner. But you I were never, at home. Yes. weren't you working as a? You weren't doing home care. No, no. I mean, I was, but it was five fifteen. It was five fifteen. Well, see, I was still working in the hospitals. No, so no. I was working in downtown San Francisco on the eighth floor of St. Francis Hospital oh, when that earthquake hit. I'd have died. And it, the, the the building is on rollers because it's one of the newer ones downtown. So we were rolling back and forth. All the lights go out. Only the monitors, you know, the heart monitors, the green from that was on. It was very eerie. And the, t- the, the uh, TVs on the walls were just whipping, whipping back and forth. You know, we're freaking. And, of course, after it stops, all of the lights go on, all the patients putting their lights on. So, you know, we fan out. I tell that nurse, go that way. I go this way. I go into the first patient's room, and I say, yeah, yeah, can I help you? And this woman, young woman, sitting up in the bed, and she says, yeah, listen, um, I was wondering if you could call my doctor because um, I need a laxative. I'm a little constipated. <laughs> And I stopped for a second and I said, oh, my God, we just had a major earthquake. And if that didn't scare the shit out of you, there isn't a <laughs> laxative on the planet that's going to do it. Welcome to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. So, Shane, how was your week? Uh, it was good. I was on a little vacation, and then I nice. came back into a buzzsaw of work. So that's, uh, that's what happens always when hard when you come back to a buzzsaw. I know. It's How about you? So painful. And you went up to Portland. I went up to Portland, Oregon. And weren't there buzzsaws up there? Yeah, but they're <laughs> a lot of woods. They cut down trees, not <laughs> that's people. That's true. That's true. My week was uh, delightful. We have a new software program at work uh, that we're instituting, so that's always tough. Yeah, uh, can can make a big change. Can People you play are... Tetris on it? No, they have no freaking games on it. It's quite sad. In fact, they've taken games off all of the stuff now at your work site. You used to come with those the standard games. Now, yeah. those are all gone now. Yeah, you got to get to work. Little bastards. So, Casey, it's indeed Old Home Week starting out with the ancient Maggie clip. Very ancient. And we're a- actually doing the show today from JMC Sound, and this Yay. is where we did our very first show back in 2008. Ooh, it's, it gives me a warm and fuzzy oh, feeling. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long, Shane, and I'm sure our listeners can't either. You might all find this interesting. Of course, in 2008, it was a presidential election year, so the president and vice presidential candidates weighed in on issues, which was surprising because they don't do that anymore. Here's what they said they would do if elected. So Barack Obama wanted to create a national health insurance program for individuals who didn't have employer-provided health care and who didn't qualify for other programs. He wanted to mandate individual coverage or did not want to mandate individual coverage for all Americans, but did want to require coverage for children. It was going to allow uh, individuals below the age of 25 to be covered, and it would allow Americans to purchase medicines from other countries if the drugs were safe. He said he would repeal the ban that prevents the U.S. from negotiating with drug companies, and he would look damn good doing it. And conversely, John McCain, 
opposes federally mandated universal coverage. Why do we need it? Believes competition will improve the quality of health care because it's done so well to this date. Supports health care tax dividends for low-income Americans, medical malpractice reform, improving electronic record-keeping, expanding health savings accounts, and encouraging small businesses to band together to negotiate lower rates with health care providers. Under the plan, every family would receive a direct refundable tax credit for $2,500 for individuals and $5,000 for families because that'll go so far in health care. Joe Biden wanted to support the expansion of the state children's health insurance program to allow more children to participate. He wanted to give uninsured Americans the opportunity to purchase an insurance plan that mirrored the federal employee health benefit plan. He wanted to give people 55 and older the chance to buy an early coverage under Medicare. And then he promptly shook hands with the plant next to the podium. Exactly. Then Sarah Palin from her website. And of course, this goes on and there's no punctuation marks. It's just one sentence. I support flexibility in government regulations that allow competition in healthcare that is needed and proven to be good for the consumer, which will drive down health care costs and reduce the need for government subsidies. I want to support patients in their rightful demands to have access to full medical billing information because we know that'll fix the system. Yeah. And here with us to talk about what we really got is our good friend and Nurse Talk healthcare expert, Donna Smith. Donna, welcome back. Now, can you tell us in a nutshell what we really got? Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I have to comment on Sarah's comments, though, on, yes. on her website. Do you seriously think she even knew what all the words meant? I don't think she even knew. That, that's the thing. And I wonder, since it's on our website, she didn't type it in either. No, that's for sure. I, I think what we actually got was kind of an amalgamation of, of what they could get done at the time in, mm-hmm. in uh, the Affordable Care Act. You know, we, we ended up with, the obviously, the individual purchase mandate for people who don't have uh, health insurance available through their employer or some other public program. We did get that, but it took, as we all will recall so fondly, such a massive struggle mm. inside the United States Congress that it, it burned up about two years of Barack Obama's uh, first two years of his presidency mm-hmm. trying to get that process done. And interestingly, uh, looking back, it's hard to believe that was 2008, uh, mm-hmm. that all of that was going on. And congratulations to Nurse Talk. It's such a, a great program and service to everyone. But I was looking just today just to give us a little perspective on a recent Gallup poll that came out on Obamacare. You know, we're sitting on the eve right now of open enrollment, again, for uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And a poll that was done by the Gallup polling organization just came out, said that 71% of the people who get their coverage through the exchanges right now are pleased about how that is functioning for them. Wow, and, 71%. 71%. And so those, and that was published in Politico. You can go online and look for that in Politico. And uh, also, it said only about 9% who get their coverage on the exchanges said that it was uh, that things were going poorly. So, you know, contrary to all the all the hyperbolic comments that we've heard about uh, how horrible Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act is, we're hearing from an awful lot of people that it's providing them with some access to care they didn't have before. So, Donna, then tell us what you think would work better than what we actually got. 
Well, you know, for me and for millions of other people, there's still an awful lot of complexity in trying to decide what coverage is going to meet our needs. I mean, you have to almost be a future predictor to try and decide uh, what you may need in the coming year unless you just have a consistent state of health that you know know is going to stay that way. You know, I think what we all need is one single standard of high-quality care for everyone, without financial barrier, and that, for me, would mean that we would improve and expand a Medicare-for-all-like system to everybody in this country as a way to really make sure that, you know, for instance, nurses never again had to worry about uh, whether or not patients would go home and be able to follow the instructions that they were giving them so carefully on discharge from the hospital. You know, so many patients go home and they can't afford to get their meds or they can't afford follow-up care. If we had a Medicare-for-all kind of system, that would no longer be the case. People could could take care of themselves in a much, much more meaningful way. So while the Affordable Care Act is certainly helping, it's not, it, we're not there. We're not there to the place where the rest of the civilized world has gotten in uh, many, many years ago, and that's to providing a truly universal, across-the-board standard of care for everybody. I just cry for those days, Donna. I cry for those days. I want them so badly. So what important dates do we need to remember about the Affordable Care Act? Well, today uh, today is the big day that open enrollment begins, November the 15th. It goes through December the 15th, so you have uh, about 30 days to get online to your either your state exchange or if your state doesn't have an exchange, onto the federal exchange, healthcare.gov, and take a look. You don't have to sign up the day you go on, but you have to go on and start shopping. Take a look at what's available to you, and even if you already have coverage through the exchange, you should have by now gotten notification of what it looks like for next year. For some of us, it's it's a little less pleasant because there's increases in policies as we get older, unfortunately. Um, so you have to go on and take some time to look over what the, for instance, in Colorado, we have 127 different plans to look at. Wow. And so it takes some time to, to look at all of those things and decide what best meets my family's needs in terms of budget and health care situation. So take some time with that. If you can't get what you feel like is a good decision by just being online yourself, Find one of the navigators either by calling the 800 numbers that will be on your exchange board or go see someone. In Colorado and most other states, they have physically have people who will help you look through those things. So make an effort to get some help with it. Don't just guess. So just today, open enrollment starts December 15th. It ends. If you're signing up for the first time, you will have to pay that first premium as soon as you sign up. So for many of us, you're going to wait until you have a payday or whatever you can do. For those who are just re-enrolling, go on and confirm that you're staying with the plan that you're on, and then your billing cycle will say just as it has been in the past for paying your premium. Great. So how about you? Are you going to shop around and change your plan now that you've got an opportunity to do so? I don't know yet for sure. I'm going to shop, certainly. I'm concerned I don't want to change doctors again. I currently have a Kaiser plan, and it took me a good deal of time to get comfortable with my new doctor, get all the records transferred over to Kaiser. And for me, as a two-time cancer survivor, that's kind of important to have some continuity of care. It sure is, and somebody who knows you. Absolutely. So, And I'm comfortable with my doctor. I like her a lot, so... I'm going to be very careful, and people should be very careful, that even small changes in copays and deductibles can mean that a premium that actually looks lower to you 
may actually end up not saving you money because you're going to pay more in other ways. So that's why I'll be shopping like millions of other people do. I probably won't do it today because I don't want to be on with a million other people on the website. So I may wait until next week and spend some more time with it and and really think about my options. That's great, Donna. And it's good advice to really read the fine print on these things because, as you said, if you just shop premiums that you're going to find a couple of months in, it's going to cover not cover things that you really need. So thank you. As always, Donna, thank you. We appreciate it. Of course. Again, those websites are healthycalifornia.org and healthcareforallcolorado.org. Always a pleasure to be with you, Donna. We appreciate your time. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody there. And th- I am thankful for Nurse Talk and for nurses everywhere. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. So we have a great show today coming up. We're going to talk about the recent RN strikes and the global day of action that brought nurses from around the world together to fight for patient care. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, Yeah. so obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Confusion ever someone or have sudden... Have you ever had sudden confusion, trouble speaking, or understanding someone? It could be one of the five signs of stroke. Sudden weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Sudden trouble with vision in one or both eyes. Suddenly having trouble walking or difficulty with balance. Or a sudden intense headache that comes out of nowhere. Don't wait. Call 911 immediately. Time lost is brain lost. Find out more at powertoendstroke.org. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Can you tell if this burger contains bacteria that could cause kidney failure? Listen. You can't see it either. Use a food thermometer to be sure you've cooked meat and poultry to a bacteria-killing temperature. Raw or undercooked meat may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. Roughly 3,000 Americans will die from food poisoning this year, but you can keep your family safer. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. proper health care. This is what we deserve as citizens of America. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. 
Last week, from California to Florida, from the Philippines to Ireland, 100,000 registered nurses joined a wave of actions to call attention to eroding patient care standards in the U.S. and globally that are symbolized by inadequate preparedness for fighting the Ebola virus. The lack of concern for nurses and patients in a world where corporations have taken over our community health care has magnified during this deadly Ebola crisis, said NNU Executive Director Roseanne DeMauro. DeMauro goes on to say that if nurses had not taken to the airwaves, to the streets and to the legislatures, there would have been inaction on Ebola. Everyone passed the buck. The Centers for Disease Control had no power, and Ebola is the latest in health threats. There will be more to come. Nurses are demanding patient safety. They are heroes. Hospitals should be forced to spend the money on patient safety that they spend on public relations, DeMauro said. Yeah, hear, hear. Shane, I know most say that Ebola crisis is over and why are the nurses still in the streets and still striking? There's more here at play than just the recent Ebola preparedness deficiency, and I actually think it's a crack. You know, you, ha- you have to strike while the iron's hot. Honestly, this is a fight for the survival of our profession and for direct patient care. It's a fight for unions to survive big time and a thrive in the face of stronger and richer corporations and a fight for people in this country that still do not have access to quality health care. So let's listen as DeMauro uh, addresses 5,000 California nurses at last week's rally. Nurses across the nation are demanding that nurses are protected, the communities are protected, and their patients are protected. I will say this, the nurses of America, you, the National Nurses United, California nurses, have actually been extremely important in turning the Ebola crisis around. When those nurses in Dallas were exposed to Ebola, that could have been any of your hospitals. That could have been you. And you took to the airwaves, and you took to the streets, and you signed up your neighbors, and we sent 60,000 names on a petition to President Obama. How could the group, nurses, that are the most respected in the country, in Gallipo after Gallipo, be treated with such disrespect and disregard that when it came to a deadly disease, the hospitals didn't do everything they could to help, to put the right protocols in place, the right equipment in place. Instead, they wanted you to have skin exposed, those N95 masks that you're wearing, and think that you would protect them from Ebola. Well, you know what? You stood up, told them, you're not telling me I'm expendable. I'm going to protect my patients. And here we are, and the fight continues. But I think you should take tremendous credit in turning around Ebola. You forced the CDC to change the regulations four times. You've done everything that you could possibly do to appeal to the right people. The public stayed with you. The hospitals tried to blame you, just like they tried to blame the nurses in Dallas. And you know what? They didn't get by with it. They're not getting by with it today. 
because thousands and thousands and thousands of nurses are standing up here in Oakland, in Washington, D.C., in North Carolina, in Florida, in Texas, in New York, in the Philippines, in Ireland, in Australia, all over the world, nurses are standing up. And if nurses use their power, they can change the healthcare system and make patients the priority. Patients. And really what she's saying, Casey, is that Ebola is kind of a proxy for an overall condition. If it's not childhood mm-hmm. obesity, it's hospital readmissions after uh, congestive heart failure. It's Ebola now, but it's going to be something else next. And there's been plenty of things that we've been dealing with for years now that are preventable that we're not preventing because of the same issues. Absolutely. And you got to take the issue that is most forefront in people's mind. And Ebola gave us a platform in which to speak and the nurses have spoken and are being listened to, which is fabulous. She also addressed the pervasive greed that exists in healthcare. Let's listen. Kaiser Permanente, just to use a current example, had $3.1 billion in profit year to date. Year to date. Billions of dollars in reserves. They wouldn't get hazmat suits. They wouldn't put the protocols in place. They could buy hazmat factories. That's how much money they had. But instead, they basically gambled with your life, with patients' lives, and so did most of the healthcare, if you want to call it healthcare, most of the healthcare corporations in America. It's time to change the priorities. It's time to have Wall Street pay its fair share to have humane healthcare to have nurses as decision makers. And honestly, you are the model for the world. So yes, the nurses are making noise from California to Australia and beyond, which I absolutely love, Shane. Every time I'm in an NNU or CNA event and you're with you know, three or 4,000 of your brothers and sisters. It's so powerful and so powerful when you hear people from Ireland, from Australia, around the globe. Because if there's one thing that I love about nursing, it is a global community. And after all, we're living in a global community. And I wish we would all wake up and see that what happens in West Africa happens to us. We're all one. And unless we learn to play nice together and take care of each other, we're going to do ourselves in. Well, and you even see arbitrary lines just between states. You have states that, you know, even in this country, we're divided on who gets what based on legislation, based on healthcare conglomerates. Uh, And and again, one of the things that's great about nursing is that we erase those lines. We treat the community as a global community. We take care of each other and we take care of our patients. Which is so great. And that's what I want. Universal health care. Really, I think most Americans want to take care of each other. I think most people want to take care of each other. Every time there's a crisis and someone puts out a tweet or puts something on the web asking to support some child with cancer or some adult who's had some terrible incident happen. People pony up big time. This is what speaks to us. And nurses speak to us in that vein of, come on, there's a lot of problems with the world, but let's just work together. And we'd love to have nurses at the table. That's the biggest thing, Shane. I would like when they're talking about these issues in the Congress and the Senate, we should be there. Nurses should be represented. 
Yeah, absolutely. If anyone knows what's going on in the front lines, it's the nurses. And to not have them a part of the public discussion means that you're missing a really valuable bit of data. You're missing uh, learning what you really need to take care of the patients as a whole. It's so very important, Shane. And, you know, I I can't say enough for people to get out and vote because, unfortunately, in this last election, we had the lowest turnout since 1942. And people tend to think, oh, it doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference. Look at the states and look what's happening in your home state of Oklahoma and how much they don't support people and they don't give people health care rights. We're going to be right back with RN and author Teresa Brown and her take on the recent elevated status of nurses. Stay tuned. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter really is the best medicine. Wildfires burn millions of acres each year. And each year, wildland firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile. It can ignite and destroy your home, your community, or more. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. But you can do something firefighters can't. You can act now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. You can reduce the risk. Do your part. Go to fireadapted.org. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. Hi, this is Paul McCartney on behalf of Rad. If you're drinking, you can't drive my car or any car. And remember, don't drink and drive. It's just not worth it. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. So we are nurses, so we can... Oh, uh, scratch that one. We'll start again. We are nurses, so we cannot prescribe diagnosis. Yeah, let's try that one more time. No. Oh, You didn't say that right, Casey. Let's uh, have you read that. Disclaimer, take 10. I can't see. Oh, here, here's some glasses. Oh, jeez. Take 11. We are nurses. <laughs> that always gets a laugh, Maggie, because whenever you say we are nurses, I just look at you and laugh. <laughs> we are nurses, and so we cannot prescribe. <laughs> oh, try that again. <laughs> Take 24. We are nurses, so we cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat. Yes. A little more heart. All right, Maggie. Heart. Heart, she says. To a couple of nurses, she's talking heart. They got a lot of nerve, don't you think? What the hell can I say? Heart. What am I? Okay. we have some deadlines here. A little more heart. Oh, you know what? She can bite me on that one. Disclaimer, take 37. We. Get up. 
on with it. R. Get on with it! What are we? We're nurses. We're nurses. Yes! That's right. We're nurses. And can we prescribe, diagnose, or treat? No. No, I know that. Okay. Can we give advice? Certainly, and good advice. What else do we advise well, we people to do? We always advise to get in touch with their physician, their primary doctor, if that's if they have one. But ladies, oh, you ladies, just keep going off in some ladies. weird things. We're not listening to you, <laughs> one sir. One more time <laughs> with feeling. We're a couple of nurses, so we cannot prescribe diagnosis. <laughs> if we were just one nurse, we could. But since we're a couple, we can't. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. A okay. fast one, but a nice one. We are nurses, so we cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat. We give advice, but we also advise our callers to see their physicians. <laughs> but as always, <laughs> laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host Shane Mason. Our next guest has become one of our favorites. RN and author Teresa Brown lives and works as a clinical nurse in Pennsylvania. She received her BSN from the University of Pittsburgh and during what she calls her past life, a PhD in English from the University of Chicago. Her column, Bedside, appears on the New York Times op-ed page as well as on the Times blog, Opinionator. Previously, she wrote for the New York Times blog, Critical Care, A New Nurse Faces Death, Life, and Everything in Between. And she has another called The Shift, One Nurse's 12 Hours on the Hospital's Front Lines, which will be out in September of 2015. Teresa recently wrote an article that appeared on CNN Opinion entitled, Ebola Will Elevate Respect for Nurses. Teresa, welcome back to Nurse Talk. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Tell us about the article and why you wrote it. Oh, thank you. It's great to be back. Teresa? Yeah. Oh, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, we can hear you. Can. So tell us about the article and why you wrote it. Okay, so I don't know if everyone heard me say, thank you, it's great to be back. Oh, no, we didn't, no, hear, we didn't hear that. Uh, yes. Uh, um, why did I write the article? Well, I, like nurses all over the country, saw when Ebola first came to the U.S. that immediately nurses got blamed for a lot of the things that occurred, um, and I think everyone knows these stories, but just to review that the first Ebola patient in the U.S., Thomas Eric Duncan, who did end up dying, unfortunately, was not initially diagnosed as having Ebola because the nurse didn't tell the doctor about his travel history, and then it came out that the nurse actually did tell the doctor about the travel history. So we got through that mess, and then the nurse taking care of him who got sick, the head of the CDC immediately said, well, she violated protocol. And it turns out that there really wasn't a protocol to violate, but certainly the messy protocols that they had were not violated by the nurse. And then the other nurse who to Ohio and ended up flying back to Dallas with a fever who did end up having Ebola. Again, the CDC said she shouldn't have gotten on that plane, but it turns out that she had checked in with the CDC through her superiors throughout her trip and even asked them, since she had a fever, should she be flown home on a plane all by herself, to which she was told no. I got very angry at seeing this reflexive nurse blaming over and over and over again. And the fact that it came from the head of the Centers for Disease Control, 
showed me that this reaction of scapegoating the nurse goes very deep in some parts of medical culture. And I wanted to say, first of all, that it's really unhelpful to do that. But second of all, and more importantly, it ends up gliding over some critical issues for managing Ebola in the United States, but for all healthcare in the United States, which is the really important piece provided by nurses. And in my column, I use the risk that those caring for Ebola patients take on as an example of how important we nurses are and said that we've all been there. We've all taken care of patients with HIV. We've all taken care of patients with hepatitis C. We've all probably taken care of these patients and not found out till afterwards that they did have these communicable diseases that at this point we can't cure. But Ebola is so deadly in certain circumstances that suddenly the risks that nurses take came into the public eye in a new way. And I thought, I need to talk about this because, as I said, and you might be asking about this later, but finally nursing got a seat at the table and it wasn't the nurse's seat. It wasn't a little high chair. (laughs) Uh, It was a real seat and it should have been there a century ago but let's hope it stays. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it briefly, but why do you think it took something like Ebola to bring home how crucial nurses are and and why are nurses being blamed? Yeah, and this is an issue that I've struggled with throughout my writing. When I first started writing for the New York Times, I had a sense of a mission, and I thought of it in those terms, which was to educate the public about what nurses really do. Mm. So much of our popular culture entertainment shows healthcare as the world of the doctor. And all nurses know this, but it's really important to make this point over and over and over again that on a lot of medical shows on TV, the doctors do all the work. They do their work. Boy, that's so true. Yeah, they do the work of nurses. They do, they do and the work they work everywhere. You know? Yes, and they're everywhere. They work in surgery, and then they f- go to ER, and then they work on the floor. And y- you are so correct, because they show them doing everything. And in reality, that's not what a doctor does. That's what the nurse does. <laughs> that's right, and, right. And they don't go from, you know, I was just watching uh, Castle with my daughters, and the woman detective was dating... A, cardi- oh, a pediatric cardiologist who, when she gets shot, is the trauma surgeon and the trauma bay who ends up yeah. saving her life by yeah. sticking in a chest tube at yeah. just the right moment. Yeah, I- <laughs> which is, like, ridiculous. <laughs> She's a pediatric cardiologist. Yes, and she'd, she'd be out there on the heliport doing that. And then, Yeah, right. You know, yeah, so I hadn't thought of that angle before. You're right, that adds a new wrinkle to it. Yes, not only can the doctors do everyone else's work, but they can do the work of all doctors. Which is ridiculous. Now, this begs the point that you say at one time, um, and of course I was in nursing when this happened, that's how old I am, you had to give up your seat to a doctor when they came in the nurse's station. So this is a profession that started there. 
in which it's a patriarchal system and you were working sometimes a 12-hour shift and the doctor was breezing in sometimes for a five-minute visit, but you had to get up and give him your seat. Right, which is insulting and demeaning. And and, what that really shows is, okay, yes, there was a, a gender history. Doctors used to all be men. Nurses used to all be women. But at this point, The gender balance has changed, at least in medicine, but those feelings of entitlement have not changed. Have not changed. And worse, those feelings that the nurse is somehow not really a colleague, Mm. just sort of a person who's there who kind of does stuff, but it's really the doctors who are doing all the important work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you point out nurses provide 24-7 care for dangerously ill patients. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I in my own work in medical oncology, we have a lot of really fragile patients because their cancer makes them very sick, and then the chemo that we give them to cure their cancer makes them very sick in a different way. So a lot of them are always on the cusp of some kind of serious problem. And and just taking care of them means watching for things like, oh, is someone suddenly really short of breath? Oh, has their blood pressure been slowly inching down and their heart rate's slowly inching up? Is this a low-grade fever that's brewing? All these things that are the small clues we can get from these very sick patients that a big infection may be brewing, and because we've destroyed their immune system, it's going to make them really sick really fast. And so we're the ones who have to find those things out. So true. Yes. So Teresa, right. Whether it's 2 in the afternoon or 2 in the morning, it's your job as a nurse to say, wow, I can stop before this patient is really going down the drain. I can intervene. So true. And that's our job. I don't think the public understands that that's our job to do that. Well, I think more and more they are. So in your article, you say nurses are under-recognized and go on to recommend that the healthcare community pass the National Nurses Act of 2013, Mm -hmm. which I love. What would that bill do? It would give nurses an official stance in the office of the Surgeon General. The way the bill is written now is to have that person do a lot of public health work, which doesn't sound all that interesting, but a a more interesting way to think about it is that you would have a national nurse who would be obligated to communicate with the public and educate the public. So we don't have a Surgeon General right now, which is not great, but say take the Ebola crisis. The Office of the National Nurse would have been there to get out the information that everyone needed about how do we know when Ebola is contagious? What are the risks to healthcare workers? Are there protocols in place at hospitals all over the country? And instead we got we got a whole mess of things. We got the CDC saying if Ebola comes to the U.S., we'll stop it in its tracks. Then that turned out not to be true. And, well, again, let's blame the nurses for what didn't work out. And, of course, that's just dumb. You need someone whose job it is in a global world and economy to say, here's what we know, here are the risks, here's what you probably don't need to worry about, and 
see things from a patient's point of view, which is what nurses are really, really good at. Yeah, I mean, you say at the end of the article, for our patients and our system to be as healthy as possible, nurses need to take that chair we're now allowed to always sit in and be welcomed with everyone else at the healthcare table. And that's really true. And Teresa, we we want to just thank you for your time as a nurse, but especially for your time of writing and getting the word out, because um, I don't think there's enough nurses' voices out there. So I really appreciate both your time and your effort to further the cause of our fellow brothers and sisters in this great profession that we work in. Thank oh, you so much. thank you. And, and I do encourage all nurses to tell our story. It's a good one. That's true. We've been talking with RN and author Teresa Brown. The article is Ebola Will Elevate Respect for Nurses. Her book is Critical Care, available everywhere. And her new book coming out next year is called The Shift. We'll be right back with health trivia and your email questions. Don't go away. Can you tell if these vegetables are being contaminated with bacteria that could cause paralysis? Listen, you can't see it either. Use different cutting boards so that the bacteria in raw meats and seafood and their juices doesn't touch prep surfaces for other foods like veggies. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. Roughly 3,000 Americans will die from food poisoning this year, but you can keep your family safer. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Check out my new time machine. Does it work? Hit the button. Hey, it's Napoleon. Oui. Check out the future. Hey, you have a nice house. Why don't I? You didn't save any money, buddy. If only there was a way I could go back in time and fix that. Yeah. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks. Feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. I'm working two jobs, and my husband works too. My kids go to school with your kids. I'm one out of every six Americans, and my family is struggling with hunger. I believe in this country, but it's hard to believe so many Americans have to choose between paying bills and feeding families. Visit feedingamerica.org and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Ooh, it's so damn cold in here. Uh, yeah, the producer's having hot flashes. I'm not the one with the buttons, for Christ's sakes. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. So Casey, I uh, was at a show the other week and there was a psychic there and, oh, I, and I she like said that. that she was going to tell me something that was in my future. And I said, what is it? And she said, you're going to say that all materials related to health trivia are the sole <laughs> responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC, not affiliated with any network or stream service airing our show. And I said, I want my money back. <laughs> did you have to pay her for that? Yeah. Although she did get it right. So our health trivia question for this week is, if you have alopecia areta, and I don't know if I'm saying that last part right. What are your symptoms? So let me spell it for you. Alopecia is A-L-O-P-E-C-I-A. And the second word is A-R-E-A-T-A. Is that how you would say it, Jane? 
uh, that, I wouldn't say this, but if I was going to, then that's how I would say it. I, so if you know the answer to this week's question or you're the first to look it up and email us, we'll send you a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. And you can tell us the correct answer by either emailing it to contest at nursetalksite.com or you can tweet it at hashtag NT contest. Either way, you might win telling us what alopecia is. Our producer is in Branson, Missouri at the Patsy Cline Lookalike Contest, so we can't tell you what last week's trivia question was. We won't let that happen again. And that's so Branson. <laughs> yes, that and mini golf and go-karts. I got to tell you, years, a thousand years ago, I, a, a person that I was dating asked me to go see Patsy Cline. I had never heard of Patsy Cline, so I didn't know who Patsy Cline was. So okay. we go to a club in San Francisco. And we are watching what I think is Patsy Cline on the stage. And people are laughing and hooting and hollering and screaming out things. And I'm thinking, God, this crowd is so rude to her. I cannot believe that they're being so catcally. Well, not only was she not Patsy Cline, she was a man dressed as a woman impersonating Patsy Cline, who I didn't know was dead. So it was quite a shock Man, for that me. That is like multiple <laughs> layers of confusing right there. Boy, was I embarrassed to find out that it was a man and Patsy Cline was not even alive. Well, at least you found out before you went home with her. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> All right. So next up, some email questions. Shane, you want to take one first? Sure. Dear Casey and Shane, I'm in my mid-50s and I have really bad arthritis in my knees. I've had surgery to repair meniscus and clean up whatever they clean up there. Haven't had trouble with it until the past year and my right knee started giving out on me. Not fun and quite embarrassing as well. Doctors have said that I have bone on bone, but I don't seem to want to do anything about it. The doctors don't seem to want to do anything about it. They offered physical therapy, which I took, and it made it better, but I'm still having some trouble. My neighbor had the same thing, and she got chicken comb injection therapy. Huh? She had great results. I see her walking with no pain and no problems. What have you heard about this? This is Shirley T. in San Antonio, Texas. Well, Shirley, I heard, I have heard about chicken comb injections, and they've been quite effective. So effective that they stopped giving them at Kaiser. Kaiser was one of the few places that was doing <laughs> chicken comb injections, and literally they stopped doing them because the orthopedist saw a great cut down in how much they were having to do surgeries. But I have something else that I think is even more important than chicken comb injections, although I love that sound effect because it is very shocking. It's um, stem cell injections. Now, this has not been approved by the FDA. It's widely used in Europe with wonderful success. I know of a patient here who had it done who was brilliant. So you have to pay out of pocket. What they do is they harvest your own stem cells from your bone marrow. So they do a bone marrow tap. They pull out your stem cells. They fortify those with uh, some ingredients, and then they inject it into your knee, and it actually rebuilds the cartilage. And this is really successful. I think one of the reasons why it's not offered here in this country is because we make so much money from total knee replacements. Well, and I think that if we were doing this and offering this, this would greatly reduce the need for a total knee. And to me, to me, it's like a no-brainer. So the patient that I know that had this done paid $5,000, went here in Mill Valley, had the procedure. It's, it's three-step procedure. First they harvest, uh, then they come back and do something else, and then they inject you. Um, and then they can even inject you a little further along. It, there's no downtime. 
There's it's not really that painful and it produced great effects. She's back playing tennis and has no issues. Well, maybe so. so, But there's two sides to every story. And I think we also need to think about all the poor chickens that were putting out of work. (laughs) Because God knows we're not eating them fast enough, Shane. Is that it? But the chicken comb was really quite fascinating because they injected that and it had the same kind of effect almost as this um, as the stem cells do, except the stem cells rebuild cartilage. The chicken comb actually produced like almost like a silicone substance across in between the joint there. And so it virtually took away the pain, which well, was quite incredible. And also with the chicken comb thing, you get to say chicken comb. Yeah, you do. You get to say, I got some chicken. And anybody says, you know, have you had it? Yes, I have some chicken in me. Bok, 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 bok. All right, let's go on to the next. Dear Shane and Casey, so much is being said about concussions these days, and I am very confused about the whole matter. You hear terrible things in the news about people falling and being okay afterwards, only to have them go to sleep and never wake up. (laughs) When does one know if a bump on the head is just that or if the bump on the head is something worse? And what should you do if it happens to a child or adult or me, for that matter? Love your show. Janine S. in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple, actually, Janine. If you uh, fall and get a bump on your head and then you go to sleep and never wake up, then it was serious. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the other thing that I have to say. There are sometimes when somebody falls and they bump their head, um, you kind of want them to go to sleep and see what happens. <laughs> but really, the important thing to know is this. If you get, if you get a bump on your head and there is swelling an outward bump, that's a good sign because then the swelling is happening outside of the cranium, outside of the skull, and that's good. It's when there's no bump or anything that there could be a bleed inside the cranium, which could be deadly. And you don't want to take a chance because you don't really know. I'll never forget the case of the woman up in in Canada who was skiing and fell and hit her head and went in and they thought she was fine and sent her home and she died. Um, So... You do need to go in and be checked out if you've really hit your head. That's the only yeah, way I to mean, be sure. The thing to look for is if you lose consciousness, you definitely need to go get checked out. If someone starts to get confused, if they're disoriented, if yes. you see any slurred speech, if you see the symptoms getting worse, a headache get, that gets worse over time, you definitely want to get checked out for sure. You definitely want to get checked out if you have any of those symptoms. So if you bump your head, you don't have health insurance, let's say, and it's expensive to go in, you want to stay awake and you want to have people talking to you and you want to <laughs> notice if you have any of these changes. And then, of course, if you have changes, you better get in, get right in there because it is a serious matter. All right, the next one, Shane, you want to take it? All right, dear nurses, I'm just going to come up straight out with it. What causes impotence? Mm. I'm 41 years old, relatively healthy, I think, and I'm having issues. Could stress be the cause? This is James from a state that shall remain nameless. Well, that's good because there's so many Jameses out there in so many states. And Shane, aren't you 41? I am 41. (laughs) Not saying anything, just saying. Okay, so some of the things that can cause impotence, alcoholism. A physical and mental dependence on alcohol sometimes uh, results in um, a chronic problem. Depression can also affect it. Diabetes. And then, of course, there's hypertension. But erectile dysfunction is another problem. Uh, Enlarged prostate, renal, and also stress. So stress can absolutely infect, can happen. And doesn't it happen to every man at some point in their lives? No. It does not. Nope. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's never happened in your case then. Nope. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so if this is happening for you and it's a problem, you know, go talk about it with your doctor. It, it, there's lots of physiological reasons that they can fix. So it doesn't mean that you're less of a man because this is happening. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily it's not something happening. wrong with you. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you may need to have your uh, blood pressure regulated. Some yes. therapy might help. A divorce might help. There's all yes. different things that you could do that yes. could uh, be yes. causing this that could help out. Right. And even sometimes, you know, talking about it with your uh, therapist can help out, can help out a great deal. So on another note, Casey, uh, we just uh, got this that Robin Williams' suicide was triggered by a disease called Lewy body dementia, which can cause hallucinations. That's a nasty disease. Robin Williams had a common but difficult to diagnose. That's not good. Lots of you have it, and we don't know how to diagnose it. This is called Lewy body dementia, and this may have contributed to his decision to commit suicide last August, according to documents included in his autopsy report. The coroner in San Rafael, California, released the autopsy report as well as a pathology report from the University of California, San Francisco, documenting the comedian's condition. All people with Lewy body dementia have dementia and sometimes appear confused and disoriented and exhibit unusual behavior, said Angela Taylor, the director of programming for the Lewy Body Dementia Association. According to the coroner's report, Williams had been acting strangely before his death. He is said to have kept several watches in a sock and was very concerned about keeping the watches safe. The dementia usually leads to significant cognitive impairment that interferes with everyday life, Taylor said, adding that people with Lewy Body Dementia often struggle with tasks like eating, staying clean, and paying bills. People with this type of dementia tend to experience extremely graphic hallucinations that are visual but can also include smells and sounds. Many with the diagnosis have Lilliputian hallucinations populated by small people or creatures. They usually don't find these frightening, just very real. While difficult to distinguish between Parkinson's disease, which Williams also had, Lewy body dementia isn't rare, Taylor said. It's one of the most common forms of dementia and affects more than one point. 0.4 0.4 million people in the U.S., according to the association's latest statistics. It is a brutal disease. Like Williams, many people who have Lewy body dementia are initially diagnosed with Parkinson's. As the disease progresses, they begin to show uh, Lewy body dementia symptoms, including trouble sleeping and the vivid hallucinations. Hunched posture, rigid muscles, a shuffling walk, and trouble initiating movement are similar for both conditions. Some are also diagnosed with Alzheimer's or a psychiatric disorder. Despite how common Lewy body disorder seems to be, the doctors have difficulty making the correct diagnosis, Taylor said. In the early stages, cognitive function fluctuates and people who have it may be able to pull themselves together for periods of time, which is what makes it so hard to diagnose this particular condition. Yeah, she says if you didn't know them, you may not realize anything's wrong. The diagnosis is often confirmed after death when looking through a microscope which reveals the Lewy bodies, which are tiny protein deposits on the nerve cells of the brain. The autopsy of Williams' brain showed Lewy bodies as well as other brain changes that are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, according to the report. Medical experts can't say for sure whether Lewy body dementia contributed to Williams' suicide. He also suffered from clinical depression and had a history of drug and alcohol abuse, though he had no drugs or alcohol in his system when he died, according to the autopsy results. Though his death is terribly sad, it's a good opportunity to inform people about this disease and the importance of early diagnosis, Taylor said. 
I can't say enough about this particular disease because I've seen it for years in my travels as a nurse, and it is a brutal disease, and brutal because the periods of confusion and hallucinations are so real for the patient. And then when it clears, they're completely back to their normal selves, and it makes it very difficult for them. They don't believe you when you tell them what happened. They don't always remember what happened. Or they think that what happened was really real and they think that you're telling them a story and making them feel worse for what occurred. So it's brutal to care for these people. And for people who said about Robin Williams, so many people in my circle um, were saying, which they say for people who commit suicide, that it's a chicken's way out. And I have to say to those people... If you have ever had, or clearly you have never had, unrelenting depression, this is an inability to get out of feeling absolute and severe sense of worthlessness and that there's no hope in living. And it is a brutal place to be. So when people say that that's... um, something, oh, the person was a chicken, you have no concept of how vile a place these people live in. Yeah, and this is, again, a disorder that causes dementia. Dementia is a loss of normal brain function that affects daily activities. Lewy body dementia is the second most common cause of dementia, second only to Alzheimer's. Uh, The disorder has cognitive deficiencies similar to those in Alzheimer's and movement problems similar to those in Parkinson's. This can make confirming the diagnosis difficult in the patient's course. Some patients develop the memory problems first, while others suffer the movement problems first. Most patients also demonstrate hallucinations, difficulty sleeping, and troubles with behavior. The disease name originates from the characteristic microscopic Lewy bodies found in the brain at autopsy. So the tests that confirm this can be a CT scan or an MRI, but as we've already talked about, most most commonly it's found on autopsy. There is no cure for this disease. Medicines called cholinesterase inhibitors and a medicine called memantine may provide some improvement in memory and movement problems and even reduce the confusion and the hallucination. Changing a patient's environment to reduce the frequency and the effects of the symptoms is very important. Environmental changes include reducing clutter and distractions and simplifying tasks of the patients. One-third to one-half of patients treated with the antipsychotic medications will have serious and sometimes irreversible effects, irreversible side effects. My heart goes out to anybody who suffers from this or to anybody who's caring for someone who suffers from this. And also just a brief tribute to Robin Williams. What a genius. Thank you for everything that he contributed to our pop culture and helping us learn and just being a really funny guy. We've got a little time. Let's do a news and our view story. Laundry detergent pods pose serious risk to young kids. U.S. poison control centers received more than 17,000 calls, or about one per hour, about children who'd been exposed to chemicals in laundry detergent pods in 2013-2014. And a new study found over 700 of the children were hospitalized and one child died, researchers said. This has caught us by surprise, said Gary Smith, the study's lead author. He goes on to talk about it, and it's It is said that the industry is moving in the right direction by crafting new and more child-resistant packaging. Your view, Shane. Well, you know, 17,000 kids blow it for the rest of us once again. (laughs) Maybe if they made it broccoli-flavored, that would help. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I don't know. This is like uh, phase four with an FDA trial. It's like you put the stuff out there, and then you determine there's a problem, and you fix it. I don't know how you prevent 
any sort of problem well, like this occurring. Well, I think better packaging is certainly the smart way to go for these kind of things. And I got to say, how lazy are we that we can't take a scoop of detergent and put it in the put it in the washer, that we really got to break it down to these little bite-sized packages because we can't live unless we have a little little pad thrown in there. And then there's always, of course, the brilliant idea of putting it out of the reach of children. So putting it up on a tall shelf where they can't get to it. And are your kids at two and three really doing their own laundry? Because well, if they so, better then... be. That's why you had them. <laughs> if they can do their own laundry at two or three years old, that's pretty damn good. I want to give a great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, and June Miller and Daria Karpova, our sound engineers today, Taylor Lockard of Social Networking and Progressive Voices Tune In, and all of our wonderful broadcast partners. Remember, to listen, you got to laugh. That's wrong. To laugh, you got to listen. <laughs> Up again. Have you been eating the laundry pods again? <laughs> I've totally been eating the laundry pods. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.